Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey. Welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you here, and I'm so excited about our guest this week. Our guest this week is Sarah Wynan. Hi. Hi, so great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So Sarah is the author of The Real Lolita, which was named a Best Book of 2018 by NPR, BuzzFeed, The National Post, Literary Hub, and The San Francisco Chronicle, and Vulture, and won the Author Ellis Award for Excellence in Crime Writing, and is the winner of the 2019 McCavity Award in Best Mystery-Related Nonfiction. We just got that news. We're so excited. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, and she has edited the anthologies Women Crime Writers, Eight Suspense Novels of the 1940s and 50s, and Troubled Daughters, Twisted Wives. She's currently a contributing editor and columnist at Crime Reads and has written for the New York Times, Vanity Fair, The Washington Post, New York, among other outlets. And she also writes the Crime Lady newsletter, which we will talk about in a little bit. Um, but today... Oh, that's so great, and I love The Real Alita. That was so wonderful. We could talk for 20 minutes about that. But today we're here to discuss your upcoming book, Unspeakable Acts, a wonderful, thought-provoking anthology of modern true crime writing that delves into the genre and poses questions as to why true crime takes up so much space in popular culture and the effects its popularity has on social conversations or criminal reform. It's so wonderful. I got all the way through it and I just wanted to go back and read it all again. So that is the highest compliment. It was wonderful. And so I we're here to talk about just the process of coming to find all these articles, including your own article. Um, If you want to talk a little bit about that and how the idea came about, I mean, editing a true crime anthology was something I'd been thinking about for quite a while. It even predated when I think we could date the beginning of what I call the true crime moment. Some people call it the true crime boom. But I'm hesitant to say that only because true crime is a perennial love. It's been in the American culture pretty much since America existed. So I think it's also interesting to think about why true crime and American society are so inexorably intertwined thinking about the relationship of violence with culture and the like. But getting back to the, mo- the last few years, obviously serial really broadened things. It made the genre palatable and of interest to a group of people who might never have deigned to read a true crime book or watch a true crime TV show, but somehow with the patina of the podcast and the fact that you had Sarah Koenig's voice and it was This American Life, production values, and the fact that it didn't have a tidy ending, it meant that there was the space to think about larger issues of criminal justice, of reform, of convictions, whether they're wrongful or not, and of what society is doing to people and what people, how they're functioning in in the sense of why they would commit these crimes or why 
they might be moved to commit them, so to speak. So these are all, as you can sort of see, like there are a lot of complicated feelings in yeah. my mind. And I've been a true crime consumer, I suppose, and someone obsessed with it really since I was a child. Yeah. Do you I, have like a moment when you remember you're like all into a case or? Well, so I'm from Canada originally. And because of my age, I'm in my early 40s. That meant I was a preteen and teen in the early 90s at the time when the husband and wife serial killing couple um, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo were active. So there were these young teenage white girls who were disappearing and then later found murdered. And so there was this tremendous anxiety because at least in my part of eastern Ontario, this was just not a normal occurrence. I think now we know that crime and violence is quite normal and awful nonetheless, but stranger killings still remain incredibly rare and stranger killings of, for lack of a better term, pretty white girls are not only rare, but they're almost commodified and deified. And so all, all of this was not how I was thinking about crime when I was 13 or 14. It was really just the anxiety and feeling like, is there going to be somebody coming around the doorstep or am I looking at the abyss and the abyss is looking right back to me and do I want to run away from it or do I want to sort of reckon with it. So that sort of sentiment, I think, carried me through as I got through high school and then eventually pursued a forensic science master's degree. I mean, that's the ultimate way of combining (laughs) true crime, love, and and scientific bent. And then finding my way into a writing and editing career where I always felt that crime stories were most central to my thinking and what I loved most. So that's all to say that crime has been incredibly central in my life, and I think it will continue to be so. Yeah. And I think we you, in the book, there's a lot of question of, like, what is this line that separates us from the people who do all these terrible crimes? And really, it sometimes it's not that large of a there's line. There's barely a line. I yeah. mean, we're all capable of something. Yeah. It's just what are the circumstances and what are the ingredients that would take someone from not ever committing a heinous crime to committing one that m- might result in some degree of internal logic and some degree of, you know, you can never fully understand what anybody is doing because you can't live inside some someone else's head. Right. But you can try to understand based on the available information and whatever, either as a journalist, what they're telling you, or as a, an essayist, what you seek out and synthesize. You put that all together and create a portrait of people and you might come to some degree of understanding as to why they would commit such horrendous crimes because ultimately monsters are not killing people humans are killing other humans so what separates a victim from a perpetrator is not always a lot and if anything it could be really equal right right another thing that I love so much about this anthology is that, you know, especially if you're in the true crime genre, if you listen to all the podcasts, if that's your love, there's a lot of conversation going around these days about, you know, giving agency to victims or giving them a name, which you do so well in The Real Alita, because you connect with this person and they're being used in the bigger, in the grander scheme of literature. But they're a person and they need their story told. And so I think this anthology really has like thought provoking questions about like, how do we 
not how do we do crime true crime responsibly and how do we attack that from those sides and so that's what one thing I really loved about it thank you yeah that was something that was really important for me to convey in the I guess dozen odd pieces that are included and I also feel like Patrick Radden Keefe's introduction really gets at that and I love the fact that he talked about hearing about this case as a child, but not having all the details, so it became almost this urban legend. And then he would later, many years later, essentially fact-checked his own memory and put that up against why we love true crime so much. Yeah, so you talked about the the intro for the book yes. and these 12 um, articles. So when you were coming up with the overall layout because it's split into three sections. We have like classic true crime stories and then we have true crime interacting with our culture and then later how it how these issues go in criminal justice and society. So why did you pick those three and how did you go through all of the true crime that is out there to pick what would go in? I mean, I'll, I'll start with the last thing first, which is essentially that because I think I've been editing this anthology in my head for a number of years now, I was making a mental and then literal note of stories that I love yeah. to read. But I also knew that I didn't just want to do a traditional true crime anthology. Um, several years ago, there was a series of anthologies called Best American Crime Reporting. And so I really loved it, but I also knew that to reflect the way that we take in and grapple with true crime now, that that format was, it needed to be changed up a little bit. The first section, I think, calls back to that, but it's also yeah. that Let's face it, one way that these stories make sense and are palatable is that they're narratives. And Mm -hmm. we want to have suspense. We want to keep the pages turning. We want to have good pacing. We want to have great characters. Being nonfiction, they're 100% true. But it's still incumbent upon the writer or the journalist to keep the reader's interest. So the first four pieces, I feel, not only do that, but they also reckon with somewhat larger issues. I'm thinking of Pam Koloff's piece, The Reckoning, which is, yes, a masterful true crime, classic true crime narrative, but it also really gets at the aftermath of what happens when you are a survivor of a mass shooting and you have to live the rest of your life. And what what does that mean, especially now when we have so many mass shootings and there's far too many survivors of these terrible gun crimes? So that's one example of a piece in the first section. In the second section, Well, part of it is self-interest. I mean, I feel like a lot of the stories that I pursue are at the intersection of crime and culture. I do feel like I personally am much more interested in in crime stories where it's not just the crime, but there's something in addition. So with culture, it's also looking at how people write about true crime, which is why Alice Boland's essay is in there. Um, Certain segments of popular culture be it the early 90s, like a music video, which is Elon Green's piece, or um, the way in which Ted Bundy, the serial killer, had become almost a commodity and deified and how to get around that, which is Sarah Marshall's piece. And I suppose this is where editor's privilege came in, that I did know that I wanted to include a piece of mine, but I thought, which piece fits in best with each section? And that's why I picked the one about the real-life case that inspired this wonderful 1970 independent film Wanda because it was a story close to my heart and I wanted it to have broader readership. And then finally with the third section, it's a key component of this true crime moment 
that we are grappling with much larger issues of injustice. And so how do I broaden the lens as an editor and look at things like, you know, the, uh, how African-Americans are unduly targeted by police or what's going on at the border or a transgender teen who goes missing and it seems like the police don't really care about her and or misgendering. And so these are all major important social issues and they're inexorably intertwined with crime stories because I've always believed and I will never be disabused of this notion is that the best window into society is through crime. So I feel like that Unspeakable Acts does reflect the whole gamut of classic crime stories where the culture meets crime and vice versa and this larger lens on what's happening society-wise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like we were talking about before, like there's just such a big push to that and like thinking about what go like the layers beneath the crime. And so I think that lines up so well with the way it's laid out. I think it goes really well together. Um, <clears throat> so we talked, you talked about there's true crime is not new. Like everyone <laughs> loves it. Um, or it's all the people who do love it have always been there. So you talked a little bit about serial and how that kind of was a catalyst for everyone talking about it. Do you think that there's just more conversation around it or what like what is this boom why why are we talking about it more now well part of it is that and I've written about this before and I know I I think I mentioned it in my own introductory piece is that it's not so much the interest in true crime it's this feeling that you are participating in the making of true crime it isn't so much that serial was a podcast it was that it spun off all of these message boards and reddit threads and other Twitter conversations and Facebook groups where people felt like they were going to one-up Sarah Koenig and solve the case, or they were going to disprove whatever theory anyone had, whether Anand Syed did kill Heyman Lee or whether he did not kill Heyman Lee. The fact that all these years later, it is a question that people are grappling with and a question that now applies to many other different podcasts, films, television programs and books related to true crime. So it's not just that you're taking it in, you're also being a part of it. And that can have dire consequences. One thing that I've also found, and I think that editing this anthology helped me come to grips a little bit with it, but I know that after I finished writing The Real Lolita, I can, the way I approach true crime is very different. I became more sensitized. I found that late night trawling, it would produce a response of incredible emotional weight in a way that I hadn't quite felt before because I would go on these threads and all of a sudden a voice in my head would go, well, what what if the family were reading this? Or what if someone connected to this case we're reading and just happened to stumble across all these like random theories about a major traumatic event in their lives? And so I took that sensitization and I feel like it's important for me to hold on to it and not let it go because that degree of feeling, I think, continues to make me a better writer and a better journalist. This is something that I've talked about with a number of crime writers in the field, some of whom are included in this anthology, others who I hope to include in future (laughs) anthologies if something 
if that ever comes into being. Um, but it is a subject that we all grapple with is how do we contain our own emotions, but also project them out so that people understand the real trauma that affects victims of crime and family who are adjacent to these crimes. And so I feel like that's something central and will continue to be central. Yeah. Um, so besides being maybe a little more empathetic, do you think that there are any um, negative repercussions to having this large population of true crime lovers? I think of like an example of um, In the Dark, that yeah. podcast. It's going to be really hard for a trial when everyone in that area has listened, if they have listened, or right. maybe know, maybe even falsely think they know something about it. Like, are there negative repercussions? There can be, yes. I mean, not just in terms of the participatory angle where people feel moved to drive past crime scenes or witnesses and try to track them down and, you know, essentially set themselves up as amateur journalists when they don't necessarily know all the rules of how to comport oneself. And that's, so that, that can be something of a danger. You do wisely bring up the issue of a fair trial. Certainly in the Curtis Flowers case, they're potentially on trial number seven. And there's been so much media attention in the Supreme Court reversal that it, it may be difficult to accomplish something. But at the same time, the flip side can happen where media attention in books, podcasts, film, and TV does lead to reversal of convictions that should have been overturned many years ago. I think it just all comes down to how to be responsible as possible. And this is just something that all of us are kind of grappling with as a society. Now, that said, one thing that I think is also important and I feel like Alice's piece really gets at this is what happens when you become a true crime fan? What does the fandom element add or detract from it? And certainly some podcasts promote this and some have merch and some have live events and there's a sense of what is their own responsibility. So it's just everyone is kind of struggling, but I am enough of an optimist to think that we'll get to somewhere better. Yeah, so true. So podcasts we're yes. already talking about them do you have a few maybe not so well known that you really love true crime wise this would be a good moment to take out my phone <laughs> and actually look at my cue yes. and we'll put it on the blog if you name a few we'll we'll give you links because one thing obviously as a true crime person is that i do listen to as many true crime podcasts as possible yeah so um oh i mean granted i feel honor bound to shout this out because Sarah (laughs) has a wonderful piece in the anthology but she co-hosts this amazing conversational well-researched podcast called You're Wrong About with the Huffington Post reporter Michael Hobbs and what and the conceit of the podcast is to go back and look at major important events and try to figure out where the media misreported and what we thought we knew but actually don't. So they're actually in the middle of this long, ongoing series about the O.J. Simpson trial and looking mm-hmm. at different principles. And I'm learning so much stuff <laughs> that I thought I would, I'd never known before. And even in a couple of instances, uh, there are some slow-burning uh, story ideas. <laughs> so I have to thank them. Um, Ear Hustle, which oh, is so good. set within the walls of San Quentin Prison. Mm-hmm. And so when Erlon Woods, the original co-host, was pardoned, it was mm-hmm. such a major event. But... That kind of reporting and journalism is unparalleled. You would never get that kind of access to what's happening inside a prison 
um, in any other form. And I just feel incredibly grateful and honored to learn about this yeah. through this podcast. It's a great primary source, yeah. I'm a big fan of Uncover, which is a CBC podcast. So it's based in Canada. And every season, they do a different case. So I think it was the third season, which was about a serial killer who was hunting in the queer community in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And the fact that law enforcement pretty much knew who he was, but he wasn't officially caught for years, and many young men died who shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the most recent season was on the disappearance and murder of a 15-year-old girl also in Toronto named Sharmini Anandavel and I thought the reporter did such a great job at showing why the main suspect couldn't be charged and what what was really happening inside that community and then last but not least in terms of a, a series that closed that I really loved as the best representation of a true crime memoir and podcast was The Ballad of Billy Balls, which was part of the Crime Town, I guess, family, but a little bit adjacent. And um, Io Tillett-Wright, the host, is also an author. Um, They wrote a memoir that I think Echo published a few years ago called Darling Days. But Wright um, is looking at um, their own family history, the fact that their mother had had um, a lover before Aya was born, who was shot and killed by police. And so Aya wants to figure out why their mother had been so wrecked by this crime, what effect it had on Aya's upbringing, and the level of detection and reporting, but also self-examination was so well done. Mm. And I still think about that podcast a whole lot. That's a really great list. Thank you. Yeah, we'll make sure to put those up for everybody. Um, A couple I had not heard of, so... Before we go, do you want to talk about the Crime Lady newsletter that you write? Sure. It's really great. This is not necessarily true crime, but I know uh, there you listed that you're listening to Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This about Disney and uh, Song of the South. And I just, I found that as like a kindred listen. It's, I'm listening to it now. I mean, You Must Remember This, I feel, is very crime adjacent. It's true. true. And in fact, I, I, I think it's so interesting you bring that up because if I had not listened to an episode of You Must Remember This, about Barbara Loden, who was the filmmaker and star of Wanda, I would not have written that piece. True. And it really was just me thinking, wait, why don't I know that much about Barbara Loden? And then I sought out this amazing book by a French film theorist named Nathalie Léger called Sweet for Barbara Loden that mentioned the real-life case. And I, and I thought, wait, I don't know anything about this. Let me see what I can find out, which is so often the way... I get potential stories to explore and the like. So I feel like The Crime Lady is a laboratory for me to look at things and to explore ideas that I might not necessarily want to pitch and publish elsewhere. So I I, I like having a space where I have complete freedom for what I write. I was actually looking at some of the archives today for an unrelated reason, and I ran across an essay that I wrote a couple of years ago and it was just a little thing about Patricia Highsmith and the time that she went to Yaddo the literary residency for one summer working on Strangers on a Train and she 
befriended the crime writer Chester Himes. And there isn't that much known about it, but I just sort of took every, every little scrap of information that I could find from this biography and that biography and tried to figure out what was going on there, if anything. And it was more just like me working through something about the nature of literary relationships. But again, it's like, that's just my own personal interest. Yeah. So what's great about the newsletter is that I can take these personal obsessions and then I'll write about them and send it out. And if a few people like it, that's great. Yeah. So it brings Wonderful. me joy to do the, the newsletter. Yeah. So how do people subscribe so to this? It is available at thecrimelady.substack.com. That's thecrimelady.substack.com. Yeah, go sign up for it. It's really wonderful. Um, and you can see the archives online. So take a dip into that. Um, you also find really good references for other things that you can dive into. And so I guess to close out, I wanted to ask, this anthology is like a haven for true crime lovers. I think people who want, like me, who want a deeper dive and to learn how to kind of think critically about what we're doing and what we're saying. But what would you say to someone who maybe has been a little scared of true crime or is not that big of a true crime fan? Like, what what can they get from this? I think a similar thing from veteran readers of true crime. I, I wanted to create an anthology that would be a good introduction to the types of writing and journalism that is the best of what we have to offer in this current true crime moment. And since I see this current true crime moment persisting for quite a long time, um, there was a, a tiny part of me that's a little bit amazed that we're now five plus years after Serial and the popularity for true crime has not waned. It's, if anything, it seems to be growing and expanding ever much. So as a result, I feel like to have an anthology that encompasses what is happening in true crime and who you should be paying attention to and the fact that maybe in the past people who wrote true crime stories were predominantly white guys and now there's much more of a shift to being more inclusive of women's voices and stories of people of color of queer uh, lgbtq narratives of african-american of latinx it's a broad spectrum and this needs to be properly represented and Fortunately, there's so much great writing that I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. So the idea is this is just a little bit of a taste. And then you can just go from there and, and run with it. It's really wonderful. Well, thank you for coming in and talking to so us much, about Lainey. this. Um, so be sure to pick up, uh, well, The Real Alita paperback is now out. So you can go uh, read up on that. But also Unspeakable Acts comes out in July, July 28th of 2020. Um, so you have a little bit of time and get excited for it. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. This is so great. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.